Good morning, everyone. We are continuing our series on Jesus is the Game Changer. And I'm so excited to be preaching on how Jesus champions women and children. To start off, I'd like to introduce my mom. Sadly, she can't uh, be with us this morning because she is also serving um, at her church. Um, But I have taken a photo of myself with my mom, so hopefully this will be good enough for now. But this is my mom, and she, her name, her English name um, is called Mariana, and she was born in Hong Kong, and she is the eldest of five children. So it goes mom, brother, 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 and she also has um, a baby sister. She's not a baby anymore, obviously, but um, that's how the, um, the order goes. And when my mom first came into the world, her, uh, her mom was there, obviously, and her grandmother was also there. So my mom's mom's mom was also there. And I think back in those times, it was sort of like a home birth for her. And when she came into the world, my grandmother saw her and she pulled a really funny face and she said, ill. Um, she said ill, not because my mama was born ugly, but because she was born a girl and not um, a boy. And that's the kind of world my mom grew up in. She wasn't as loved as her three younger brothers. She had to look after the family. She had to do a lot of the domestic duties. But for my mom, one of the things that um, brings her genuine happiness, I kid you not, is whenever she gets the chance to eat chicken drumsticks. Now, the reason is when she was growing up, her family was quite poor and it was hard for them to ever have chicken. And so whenever my grandparents uh, were able to bring chicken home, her brothers always get first dibs on the chicken drumsticks because they're like the meatiest part of the chicken and it's just great. You can play drums with it and all that kind of stuff. And so my mom and her parents were left with the skinnier parts. And so um, today we're definitely uh, much wealthier than her past and um, She's very lucky to have chicken whenever she wants. But we always make sure that she gets all the chicken drumsticks that she wants. She's very happy when you, I hope you ever get a, next time I'll take a picture of her eating chicken drumsticks and you'll see that joy on her face. Now, my grandfather, her dad, was a great man. He loved his children equally and he wanted to give the very best for my mum. When she was young, she wanted to study English abroad and so he saved up Um, a lot of money to be able to send her over to England. She did um, like a TAFE diploma over there, uh, but as soon as she graduated, her mom sent a letter to her, like an actual letter, not email. She sent a letter to her telling her to come home and that she needs to get married soon. That's the kind of world my mom grew up in. Now, for people like my mom and so many women out there who had experienced and perhaps continued to experience gender discrimination or they've been treated unfairly or they've been objectified, does God care? And if God does care, does he do anything about it? For me, that's an important question. Does God care? It's an important question for me because God, if you haven't noticed, he created me a female. And I want to know what my place is in the world and how am I supposed to relate to other people, especially when it comes to relating with males, like my father or my brother, my male friends, my male superiors or colleagues, or possibly my future husband. God cares, and he did more than just caring. When Jesus was in the world, he reached out to women and to children. 
He gave them dignity and worth. He changed the way society and the world sees women and children. And so so today, we're going to talk about how Jesus did all of that. Now, we're going to watch a quick video first. Um, An Oxford professor called Joe Vitale explains what it was like for women back in Jesus' time. Wow, what an interesting interview. Some of the things that stood out for me uh, was she said that Jewish men regularly prayed, I thank you, God, that I'm not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Women were always under the authority of her father or her husband. Women in in every sense were inferior to men, morally, intellectually, spiritually, and physically. She also said that women were only only there to serve the needs of men. And poor women became slaves and also the property of their masters. Now, when I watched this video, I thought to myself, man, it sucks to be a girl. You're merely a tool. You're an object for people's pleasure. You're not worthy to be human. I don't know if you guys know um, about this, but in the Roman world, there were a huge shortage of women. And apparently, the statistics are for every 140 men, there were 100 women. Or every 1.4 males, you get one female. And the reason is, if you were in the Roman world and you had a child and the child was a girl, you were more likely to leave it out to die. Now, that was the kind of world Jesus came into. Jesus was a Jewish man in a Greco-Roman world. And so everyone expected him to just not care about women, to not spend time with them, to keep his distance away from them because apparently women were seductive beings that tempt men astray. Watch out, guys. <laughs> but Jesus wasn't like that. He treated women differently. And it was good different. One of the things that stood out about Jesus was that he risked his reputation to associate with the so-called prostitutes or the sinners of his time. If you have your Bible with you, have a look at Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, in verses 1 to 3, Luke tells us, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now Luke intentionally writes about Jesus hanging out with women. And this would have been so shocking to people in Jesus' time. Women were meant to stay at home and be good wives and daughters. But what do we read about recorded here in scripture? Jesus hung out with women. Jesus traveled together with men and women. Now in the video, we heard about how women were expected to stay home. So married women tend to be secluded. And it's even worse if you are an unmarried daughter. You'll just be kept inside a lot of the time. And if you are extremely poor, you'll most likely end up as a slave girl. But what we've just read here is that Jesus traveled with a group of women. But what kind of women were they? A lot of scholars think that most of them must be the bad women, the prostitutes or the slave girls. 
But it doesn't matter who they are. They could be the super poor women who unfortunately ended up in prostitution or became slaves, or they could be the super rich women who somehow found a way to get out of the house to hang out with Jesus. It doesn't matter who these women were because the point is Jesus welcomed all of them to join him. For onlookers though, they would have thought that Jesus was hanging around with a bad crowd because remember that good or respectable women tend to stay home, whereas the bad women, or as Trump likes to call them, nasty women, they tend to roam around outside. And if Jesus was hanging around with a group of female roamers, then he would, by association, be also considered a bad person too. But Jesus didn't care. He said, come, follow me. And the women did. Notice what the end of verse 3 said. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So these women not only followed Jesus, but they also supported his ministry. Go girls, right? But that's not it. There's more stories. And one of the most touching stories I've read about Jesus is the story of the bleeding woman. Now, this story is recorded in all the Gospels except for John's book. And I love the details that Mark gives in, you'll find it in chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, verses 24 to 34. Mark tells us that a woman had been bleeding for 12 years. So this woman was constantly on her period for 12 years. I love how just looking out here, a lot, of your, um, a lot of the women's faces are all scrunched up because we know immediately the pain and suffering that this woman was going through. It's painful, it's inconvenient, but what's worse for this Jewish woman was that when you have your period, you are also unclean. In Leviticus 15, it talks about how when you have your period, you are unclean for seven days and whoever touches you will also be unclean till the evening, till the sun goes down. And everything that you touch also becomes unclean. So your clothes, your bed, the chair you sit on. If you have your period right now and you're sitting in this chair and then later you get up and someone else comes and sits on the chair that you've just sat on, then they are also considered unclean. That was the law. And after the seven-day menstrual cycle is over, the woman has to take two turtle doves or pigeons to a priest and the priest will do a sin offering and a burnt offering for her. Every single month, almost a quarter of the time, you are stuck in isolation. Now this woman has been isolated for 12 years. Mark tells us in verse 26 that this woman has spent all that she had on finding doctors to heal her, but instead of getting better, she grew worse. But then one day, another doctor came to town, and she believes that this man could save her. She believes that he is so powerful, she didn't didn't even have to bother him. All she had to do was touch the tip of his cloak. Now, remember what I just said, right? When people touch this bleeding woman's clothes, they become unclean. But when you touch Jesus' clothes, you will be healed. 
Verse 29 tells us, Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Free from constant physical pain, free from isolation and free from being stigmatized. But wait, Jesus doesn't let her get away that easy. The story continues, verses 30 to 34. Jesus turned around in the crowd and he asked, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples answered, You see the people crowding against you, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell and fell at Jesus' feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, Jesus doesn't just heal her, but he also restores her dignity. He helps her see again that she is valuable and that she is worthy. For 12 years, this woman has been living under this weight and burden that she's unclean. She has to stay at home and she has to stay away from people. She's not allowed to touch people or things. And so she's trapped in this belief that she is a loser. Now, obviously, she's not a loser, but she truly thinks that. Now, you guys can try it at home as well. Not at home, anyway. A social experiment. Pick someone and you tell them every single day that they're ugly or they're dumb or they're stupid or they're not worthy. And over time, they will start to believe in it and they'll start living like it as well. Actually, I changed my mind. Don't try this social experiment. Very not nice to that person. So Jesus healed the woman from physical pain. He freed her from isolation and stigmatization. But Jesus goes one step further and brings her back into society. He looks into her eyes and addresses her as a daughter. She's no longer the bleeding woman. She's no longer the unclean lady that everyone has to stay away from. She is God's daughter. And the crowd heard Jesus. Now, did you know that in the West, you probably do already, uh, in the West there's a saying that comes from a Roman tradition. And that saying is to ask for someone's hand in marriage. In the Roman tradition, it's called something like under his manus. Manus is a Latin word, which means hand. And that's where we get manuscript, manuscript from. Manuscript means handwritten. And so a daughter could be given into hand of her husband when she gets married. Or she could be given without hand, which means that the father says no to the proposal. And the father keeps control of her. When a woman is given into hand to her husband, the husband takes control of her. The woman has to renounce her father's religion and then follow her husband's religion, if it's different. Women are forever either subjected to her father or her husband or another man. But what we see with Jesus is, is that he offers women, children and all people a new identity. You don't belong to your father or to your husband or your brother or any human master. You belong to God and you are created in the image of God. It's very important to know that Jesus advocates for women's dignity. Jesus heals us from our pain, our suffering and our isolation. But most importantly, Jesus restores our human dignity and worth. 
You are priceless. You are worth more than gold and you can't be sold for someone else's benefit. Today, unfortunately, there are still many women and children being sold into slavery for someone else's benefit. They're kidnapped, they're sold into doing different things. Mothers sell their daughters for prostitution so that they can earn money for the family. Men use love to trick women into sleeping with other men. So what we see is that women and children are still being enslaved. Women are still being objectified. Women's voices are dismissed and ignored. By doing that, we are stripping away their dignity and the inherent worth that God has given us. So, when did gender inequality begin? Now, gender inequality began when sin came into the world. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit and sinned against God. God cursed them. Here, cursed means taking away their blessing. What we see is that the result of sin is there will be animosity between men and women. God said to Eve, the woman, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So what God did was he foretold that the natural consequences of sin is that men will desire to rule over women. Men will try and take away women's dignity and worth. But Jesus came into the world to reverse the effects of sin. And he went out and he gave dignity back to us. He shows us what all people, women, children and men have. All of us, we have dignity, we have worth and we have beauty. Jesus also spoke out about divorce. He advocates for women's rights. Now, one of Jesus' most famous sermons is recorded in Matthew chapter 5 to 7. And in Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 32, Jesus said, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, in the Old Testament, God set up a law to protect women from being abandoned by their husbands. If the husband wants to leave his wife, then he must give her a certificate of divorce. And by doing that, it shows that there is a clean break and the woman has a chance again to try and remarry and survive in this man's world. But over time, men abuse this law by giving out divorce certificates like handing out candy. Now, in those days, a man can divorce his wife if she overcooks chicken. And so Jesus lifts the standards of divorce only if the spouse commits adultery. He did that to protect the sanctity of marriage and the value of women. And so Jesus is saying, Divorcing your wife for any reason other than because of sexual immorality, immorality shouldn't be considered a divorce. And so if you hate your wife's cooking, that shouldn't be a reason to divorce her. Did you hear that, guys? <laughs> Jesus advocated for the rights and dignity of women. But not only that, Jesus also advocates for women's right to be educated. 
Now Luke tells us a story about Jesus going to Martha's house. Martha was busy preparing a meal for Jesus, but she sees that Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet listening to him. She was very angry at Mary and she went up to Jesus and asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And then Jesus replies, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. But a few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. In Jewish culture, men would become a disciple, a rabbi's disciple, by literally being at their feet, learning everything from the rabbi all the time. That was how education worked. You just followed them all the time. And they didn't want to miss a thing, so they actually did follow the rabbi as much as possible, such as going to church, hanging out with people, hanging, having a meal. And as a joke, maybe when they slept at night, just to see what they do before they go to bed, right? Now, only men are allowed to be a disciple and follow a rabbi. But here, Luke tells us that Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him. Mary wants to learn everything from Jesus, the rabbi. And so she's seizing every opportunity that she gets. Mary was doing the manly thing by becoming a disciple of Jesus. And when I said Mary was doing the manly thing, I meant it literally because only men were allowed to be disciples. She's following him. She's listening and she's learning from him and she's asking a lot of questions. She's so eager to learn. Martha was doing what women were expected to do, just to cook a meal. Mary did what only men were allowed to do and Jesus welcomed that. He encouraged Mary to learn and study at his feet. Jesus advocated for women to be educated, and this was in a time when it was scandalous to think that women could do anything besides cooking. Now, here's another thing about women back then. Women were so disregarded that you can never get them to testify in the court of law. You can't trust what women are saying. And so... They are unreliable witnesses. But when Jesus died and came back to life, the first people he appeared to were women. John tells us the scene of Resurrection Sunday. This is in John chapter 20. He says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Women were considered unreliable witnesses. And now Jesus does his greatest, most glorious act, coming back from the dead. And he chooses to make his appearance to a lowly woman. Jesus advocates for women's status equal to men. 
And by the way, I think God appeared to women first because women, the women were the only ones who stuck around for Jesus. All the other disciples, except for John, bolted when things got tough. It was the women who went to visit Jesus' tomb. The men hid at home. They were scared and they were depressed. And so naturally, the women who wanted to stand by Jesus was able to see him first. I love how consistent God is. He always chooses the weak to shame the strong. For decades, for centuries, for millennia, women have always been oppressed and taken advantage of by men. And here we have in history, the greatest man who's ever lived comes and intentionally elevates the status of women and children. Jesus advocates for equal status among women, children, and men. Now, one time, Jesus' disciples were having an argument about who is the greatest. And so they decided to ask Jesus for his advice. And Jesus called called a little child to him and he placed the child among them. Jesus said, this is Matthew 18. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Children's status back in those days was just as low as women's. But I guess being a male child is better than being a female child because you know that at least you'll grow up and you can start oppressing women if you wanted to. Children were considered half human, so they're not really important. No one cares about what a child thinks. So they wanted to grow up really quickly. They wanted to be adults in society so that they can be taken seriously. And so in this context, Jesus picks up a child and he says, this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus changed the way we see women and children. He advocates for women's dignity. He advocates for women's rights. He advocates for women's right to be educated. He advocates for equal status among women, children, and men. And Jesus' impact spread quickly. In New Testament writings, we see Paul elevating the status of women too. Have a look at an example from one of his letters. I love what Paul says at the end of Colossians chapter 3. He goes, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, for they will become discouraged. Now, Paul's a great writer, and what he's trying to do in this passage is he's trying to balance the scales of gender inequality and elevate the status of children too. And here, Paul states what's culturally obvious first, and then, so he states what's culturally obvious first, and then he adds a little twist by reminding those with a higher social status to not abuse their power. So from this example, he goes, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Now, that is what's expected of them in society back then. And then Paul adds, as is fitting in the Lord, which validates that what women are doing at home is pleasing to God. God is pleased with women who respect their husbands. But that's not enough. 
Paul says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, this would have surprised the men and probably the women too, because they wouldn't have heard that teaching before. Similarly, with children, Paul uses the same formula. State the obvious and then add a little twist. He goes, children, obey your parents. That's obvious. And then he goes, fathers and mothers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. In other words, Paul is telling us discipline with love. I hope that makes sense. Hey, let's, let's go back to the very beginning. Very beginning. God, he believes in the equality of males and females. His heart is for men and women to coexist in loving, respectful relationships. Now, how do we know this? Well, when God created Eve, he took a bone from Adam's rib. Now, if God took a bone from Adam's foot, he would be sending a message that women should always be under the man. They should always be inferior to men. But if God took a bone from Adam's head, then God will be sending a message that women should always be above men. Why didn't you do that, God? I'm kidding. (laughs) But God took a bone between Adam's head and feet, which is the rib, to show that God created men and women to be equal. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit showed us what creation is meant to be. But sin distorted the image of women and men. And Jesus, the game changer, he came to restore that image for us. Jesus started this wonderful movement, but over time, the church started to lag behind in our efficacy for gender equality. Somewhere along the way, the church placed women back into a box of domestic duties, cooking, cleaning, raising children. Somewhere along the way, the church turned a blind eye to domestic violence and child sexual abuse. Somewhere along the way, the church, the church bought into Satan's lies, believing that men should rule over and dom- dominate over women. The church and Christians started to believe that men are more superior, that men should be heard over women, and that men should be the only ones leading the church. This isn't God's vision of the world. And Jesus challenges our views and treatment of women and he calls his followers to continue what he started. Jesus died on the cross and he broke the powers of sin. Jesus broke the powers of systematic injustice against women in education, in business boardrooms, in churches and in our world. Jesus broke the powers of evil that seeks to destroy women's God-given identity. He broke them. So let's not continue living like Jesus never came. Now, in the video we watched earlier, we learned that Jewish men used to pray, I thank you, God, that I'm not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. When I was preparing the sermon, I also said a prayer. I prayed to God, thanking him for creating me female. I thanked him for creating me equal with males. I thanked him for sending Jesus who challenged society's views and treatment of women. I thanked him that because of what Jesus has done, today 
There are people out there, Christians and non-Christians, who continue to fight for women's rights. I thank God that when I was born, my parents, my brother, my grandparents and relatives, all of them embraced me for who I am. I thank God that I have female and male friends who respect each other and believe that women, just as much as men, deserve to be heard and respected for their opinions. I also don't have to be attached to a male, like a husband, to be seen as someone worth listening to. I thank God that there are women, children and men who rally behind me in what I do, in my passions and interests and in my calling in life. I work in an industry that's still largely unfavorable to women, but I'm thankful that I'm in a church where there are lots of males and females here who support what I and many women and young people do, and they want to see change in and outside of the church. Jesus calls us, every one of us here, to be leaders in gender equality. Let's go back to Esther. The words that Mordecai said, who knows but that you have come to your position for such a time as this. So arise, women. Arise, children. Arise, men. If you can, would you stand with me and let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are the son of God, you are the son of man, and you came here to change things in this world. We know that there are so many injustices here because sin has distorted what you have created to be good. I thank you, Lord, for the changes that you have made. I thank you, Lord, that you've created men and women to be equal. Thank you for reminding us of our dignity, our worth, and our beauty. And I pray, Lord, that we will continue to be the salt and light of this world. We pray, Lord, that we will continue to be leaders of gender equality because this is what you have called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.